Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of The World of Percy Jackson. In the previous episode, we read chapters 7 through 8 and Percy and the group all visited Garion from the Battle of the Labyrinth and they met Nico there as well and now they're trying to escape and Percy offered to clean the horse's stable which hasn't been cleaned in years so he offered to clean the stables in order to let all of his friends go and if he doesn't finish it then he and his friends all have to be traded to luke for gold so let's hope that percy gets through the challenge and is able to clean the stables so that he and his friends can get be let go by garion so we read chapter nine i scoop poop i lost hope when i saw the horse's teeth As I got closer to the fence, I held my shirt over my nose to block the smell. One stallion waded through the muck and whinnied angrily at me. He bared his teeth, which were pointed like a bear's. I tried to talk to him in my mind. I I can do that with most horses. Hi, I told him. I'm going to clean your stables. Won't that be great? Yes, the horse said. Come inside. Eat you, tasty half-blood. But I'm Poseidon's son, I protested. He created horses. Usually, this gets me VIP treatment in the question world. But not this time. Yes, the horse agreed enthusiastically. Poseidon can come in too. We'll eat you both. Seafood. Seafood, the other horses chimed in as they waded through the field. Flies were buzzing everywhere, and the heat of the day didn't make the smells any better. I had some idea that I could do this challenge, because I remembered how Hercules had done it. He channeled a river into the stables and cleaned them out that way. I figured I could maybe control the water, but if I I couldn't get close to the horses without getting eaten, that was a problem. And the river was downhill from the stables, a lot farther away than I realized, almost half a mile. The problem of the poop looked a lot bigger up close. I picked up a rusted shovel and experimentally scooped up some of, some away from the fence line. Great, only four billion shove, shovelfuls to go. The sun was already sinking. I had a few hours at best. I decided the river was my only hope. At least it would be easier to think at the riverside than it was here. I set off downhill. When I got to the river, I found a girl waiting for me. She was wearing jeans and a green t-shirt, and her long brown hair was braided with river grass. She had a stern look on her face. Her arms were crossed. Oh, no, you don't, she said. I stared at her. Are you a naiad? She rolled her eyes. Of course. But you speak English, and you're out of water. What, you don't think we can act human if we want to? I never thought about it. I kind of felt stupid, though, because I'd seen plenty of naiads at camps. And they'd never done much more than giggle and wave at me from the bottom of the canoe lake. Look, I I said, I just came to ask. I know who you are, she said. I know, and I know what you want. And the answer is no. I'm not going to have my river used again to clean that filthy stable. But, oh, save it, sea boy. You ocean god types always think you're so much more important than some little river, don't you? Well, let me tell you, this naiad is not going to be pushed around just because your daddy is Poseidon. This is freshwater territory, mister. The last guy who asked me this favor... Oh, he was way better looking than you, by the way. He convinced me, and that was the worst mistake I ever made. 
Do you have any idea what all that horse manure does to my ecosystem? Do I look like a sewage treatment plant to you? My fish will die. I'll never get the muck out of my plants. I'll be sick for years. No thank you. The way she talked reminded me of my mortal friend, Rachel Elizabeth Dare. Kind of like she was punching me with words. I couldn't blame the naiad. Now that I thought about it, I'd be pretty mad if somebody dumped four million pounds of manure in my home, but still. My friends are in danger, I told her. Well, that's too bad, but it's not problem. It's not my problem, and you're not going to ruin my river. She looked like she was ready for a fight. Her fists were bald, but I thought I heard a little quiver in her voice. Suddenly, I realized dis- that despite her angry attitude, she was afraid of me. She probably thought I was going to fight her for control of the river, and she was worried she would lose. The thought made me sad. I felt like a bully, a son of Poseidon throwing his weight around. I sat down on the tree stump. Okay, you win. The Nyad looked surprised. Really? I'm not going to fight you. It's your river. She relaxed her shoulders. Oh, oh good. I mean, good thing for you. But my friends and I are going to get sold to the Titans if I don't clean those stables by sunset, and I don't know how. The river gurgled along cheerfully. A snake slid under uh, through the water and ducked its head under. Finally, the naiad sighed. I'll tell you a secret, son of the sea god. Scoop up some dirt. What? You heard me. I crouched down and scooped up a handful of Texas dirt. It was dry and black and spotted with tiny clumps of white rock. No, something besides rock. Those are shells, the naiad said. Petrified shell, m- seashells. Millions of years ago, even before the time of the gods, when only Gaia and Uranus reigned, this land was underwater. It was part of the sea. Suddenly, I saw what she meant. There were little pieces of ancient sheer sea urchins in my hands. Mollusks, shells, even the limestone rocks had impressions of seashells embedded in them. Okay, I said, what good does that do to me? You're not so different from me, demigod. Even when I'm out of water, the water is within me. It's my life source. She stepped back, put her feet in the river, and smiled. I hope you find a way to rescue your friends. And with that, she turned to liquid and melted into the river. The sun was touching the hills when I got back to the stables. Somebody must have come by and fed the horses because they were tearing into huge animal carcasses. I couldn't tell what kind of animal and I really didn't want to know. If it was possible for the stables to get more disgusting, 50 horses tearing into raw meat did it. Seafood, one thought when he saw me. Come in, we're still hungry. What was I supposed to do? I couldn't use the river. And the fact that this place had been underwater a million years ago didn't exactly help me now. I looked at the little calcified seashell in my palm and at the huge mountain of dung. Frustrated, I threw the shell into the poop. I was about to turn back on my back on the horses when I heard a sound. <laughs> like a balloon with a leak. I looked down where I'd thrown the shell. A tiny spout of water was shooting out of the muck. No way, I muttered. <clears throat> Hesitantly, I stepped toward the fence. Get bigger, I told the water spout. Spoosh! Water shot three feet into the air and kept bubbling. It was impossible, but there, were, there was. A couple of horses came to check it out. 
One put his mouth to the spring and recoiled. Yuck, he said, salty. It was seawater in the middle of a Texas ranch. I scooped up another handful of dirt and picked out the shell fossils. I didn't really know what I was doing, but I ran around the length of the stable, throwing shells into the dung piles. Everywhere a shell hit, a saltwater spring erupted. Stop! The horses cried. Meat is good! Bats are bad! Then I noticed the water wasn't, run- wasn't running out of the stables or flowing downhill like water normally would. It simply bubbled around each spring and sank into the ground, taking the dung with it. The horse poop dissolved in the water, leaving regular old wet dirt. More! I yelled. There was a tugging sensation in my gut, and the water spouts exploded like the world's largest car wash. Salt water shot 20 feet into the air. The horses went crazy, running back and forth as the geysers sprayed them from all directions. Mountains of poop began to melt like ice. The tugging sensation became more intense, painful even. But there was something exhilarating about seeing all that salt salt water. I had made this. I had brought the ocean to this hillside. Stop, Lord, a horse cried. Stop, please. Water was sloshing everywhere now. The horses were drenched and some were panicking and slipping in the mud. The poop was completely gone. Tons of it just dissolved into the earth. And the water was now starting to pool, trickling out of the stable, making a hundred little streams down toward the river. Stop, I told the river. Nothing happened. The pain in my gut was building. If I didn't shut off the geyser soon, the salt water would run into the river and poison the fish and the plants. Stop! I concentrated all my might on shutting off the force of the sea. Suddenly, the geysers shut down. I collapsed to my knees, exhausted. In front of me was a shiny, clean horse stable, a field of wet, salty mud, and 50 horses that had been scoured so thoroughly their coats gleamed. Even the meat scraps between their teeth had been washed out. We won't eat you, the horses wailed. Please, Lord, no more salty bats. On one condition, I said, you only eat the food your handlers give you from now on. Not people, or I'll be back with more seashells. The horses whinnied and made me a whole lot of promises that they would be good flesh-eating horses from now on. But I didn't stick around to chat. The sun was going down. I turned and ran full speed toward the ranch house. I smelled barbecue before I reached the house, and that made me madder than ever because I really love barbecue. The deck was set up for a party. Streamers and balloons decorated the railing. Garion was flipping burgers on a huge barbecue cooker made from an oil drum. Yershin lounged at a picnic table, picking his fingernails with a knife. The two-headed dog sniffed the ribs and burgers that were, my, that were frying on the grill. And then I saw my friends. Tyson, Grover, Annabeth, and Nico all tossed in a corner, tied up like rodeo animals, with their ankles and wrists roped together and their mouths gagged. Let them go, I yelled, still out of breath from running out of the steps. I cleaned the stables. Garion turned. He wore an apron on each chest with one word on each. So together they spelled out, kiss the chef. Did you now? How'd you manage it? I was pretty impatient, but I told him. He nodded appreciably. Very ingenious. 
It would have been better if you poisoned that pesky naiad, but no matter. Let my friends go, I said. We had a deal. I've been thinking about that. The problem is, if I let them go, I don't get paid. You promised. Garion made a tisk-tisk noise. But did you make me swear on the river sticks? No, you didn't, so it's not binding. When you're conducting business, Sonny, you should always get a binding oath. I drew my sword. Orthus growled. One head leaned down next to Grover's ear and bared its fangs. Urshan, Garion said. The boy is starting to annoy me. Kill him. Urshan studied me. I didn't like my odds against him and a huge club. Kill him yourself, Urshan said. Garion raised his eyebrows. Excuse me? You heard me, Urshan grumbled. You keep sending me out to do your dirty work. You pick fights for no reason and I'm tired of dying for you. You want to fight the kid? Do it yourself. It was the most un-Ares-like thing I'd ever heard a son of Ares say. Garion threw, his da- threw down his spatula. You dare defy me? I should fire you right now. And who'd take care of your cattle? Orthus, heel. The dog immediately stopped growling at Grover and came to sit by the cowherd's feet. Fine, Garion snarled. I'll deal with you later after the boy is dead. He picked up two carving knives and threw them at me. I deflected one with my sword. The other impaled itself in the picnic table an inch from Eurytion's hand. I went on the attack. Garion parried my first strike with a pair of red-hot tongs and lunged at my face with a barbecue fork. I got in, in, inside his next thrust and stabbed him right through the middle chest. Ah! He crumpled to his knees. I waited for him to disintegrate, the way monsters usually do. But instead, he just grimaced and began to stand up. The wound in his chef's apron started to heal. heal. Nice try, Sonny, he said. Thing is, I have three hearts. The perfect backup system. He, t- he tipped over the barbecue, and coal spilled everywhere. One landed next to Annabeth's face, and she let out a muffled scream. Tyson strained out against his bonds, but even his strength wasn't enough to break them. I had to end this fight before my friends got hurt. I jabbed Jagarian in the left chest, but he only laughed. I stuck him in the right stomach, no good. I might as well have been sticking a sword in a teddy bear for all the reactions he showed. Three hearts. The perfect backup system. Stabbing one at a time was no good. I ran into the house. Coward, he cried. Come back and die right. The living room walls were decorated with a bunch of gruesome hunting trophies. Stuffed deer and had dragon heads. A gun case, a sword display, and a bow with a quiver. Garion threw his barbecue fork and it thudded into the wall right next to my head. He drew two swords from the wall display. Your head's gonna go right there, Jackson, next to the grizzly bear. I had a crazy idea. I dropped Riptide and grabbed the bow off the wall. It was the worst archery shot in the world. I couldn't hit the targets at camp, much less a bullseye. But I had no choice. I couldn't win this fight with a sword. I prayed to Artemis and Apollo, the twin archers, hoping they might take pity on me for once. Please, guys. Just one shot. Please. I notched an arrow. Garion laughed. You fool! One arrow is no better than one sword. He raised his swords and charged. I dove sideways. 
Before he could turn, I shot my arrow into the side of his right chest. I heard, thump, 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 as the arrow passed clean through each of his uh, chests and flew out of his left side, embedding itself in the forehead of the grizzly bear trophy. Garion dropped his swords. He turned and stared at me. You, you can't shoot. They told me you couldn't. His face turned a sickly shade of green. He collapsed to his knees and began crumbling into sand. Until all that was left were three cooking aprons and an oversized pair of cowboy boots. I got my friend and friends untied. Yurshin didn't try to stop me. Then I stoked up the barbecue and threw the food into the flames as a burnt offering for Artemis and Apollo. Thanks, guys, I said. I owe you one. The sky thundered in the distance, so I figured maybe the burgers smelled okay. Yay for Percy, Tyson said. Can we tie up this cowherd now? Nico asked. Yeah, Grover agreed. And that dog almost killed me. I looked at Yurishin, who was still sit- who still was sitting relaxed at the picnic table. Orthus had both his heads on the cowherd's knees. How long will it take for Garion to reform? I asked. Yurishin shrugged. Hundred years? He's not one of those fast reformers. Thank the gods. You've done me a favor. You said you died for him before. I remembered. How? I've worked for that creep for thousands of years. Started as a regular half-blood, but I chose immortality when my dad offered it. Worst mistake I ever made. Now I'm stuck here at this ranch. I can't leave, I can't quit. I just tend the cows and fight Garion's fights. We're kind of tied together. Maybe you can change things, I said. Yershin narrowed his eyes. How? Be nice to the animals. Take care of them. Stop selling them for food. And stop dealing with the titans. Yershin thought about that. That'd be alright. Get the animals on your side and they'll help you. Once Garion gets back, maybe he'll be working for you this time. Yershin grinned. Now that I could live with... Now that I could live with. You won't try to stop us leaving. Shoot, no. Ambit rubbed her bruised wrists. She was still looking at Yershin suspiciously. Your boss said that somebody paid for our safe passage. Who? The coward shrugged. Maybe he was just saying that to fool you. What about the Titans? I asked. Did you Iris message them about Nico yet? Nope. Gary was waiting until after the barbecue. They don't know anything about him. Nico was glaring at me. I wasn't sure what to do about him. I doubted he would agree to come with us. On the other hand, I couldn't just let him roam around on his own. You could stay here until we're done with our quest, I told him. It would be safe. Safe, Nico said. What do you care if I'm safe? You got my sister killed. Nico, Ambit said. That wasn't Percy's fault, and Garion wasn't lying about Kronos wanting to capture you. If he knew who you were, he'd do anything to get you on, your si- on his side. I'm not on anyone's side, and I'm not afraid. You should be, Ambit said. Your sister wouldn't want... If you cared for my sister, you'd help me bring her back. A soul for a soul, I said. Yes, but if you didn't want my soul... I'm not explaining anything to you. He blinked tears out of his eyes. And I will bring her back. Bianca wouldn't be bought, want to be, brought, be brought, brought back, I said. Not like that. You didn't know her, she, he shouted. How do you know what she'd want? I stared at the flames in the barbecue pit. I thought about the lines in Annabeth's prophecy. 
You shall rise or fall by the Ghost King's hand. That had to be Minos. And I had to convince Nico not to listen to him. Let's ask Bianca. The sky seemed to grow darker all of a sudden. I've tried, Nico said miserably. She won't answer. Try again. I've got a feeling she'll answer with me here. Why would she? Because she's been sending me iris messages. I said, suddenly sure of it. She's been trying to warn me of what you're up to, so I can protect you. Nico shook his head. That's impossible. One way to find out. You said you're not afraid. I turned to Yershin. We're going to need a pit, like a grave, and food and drinks. Percy, Ambit warned. I don't think this is a good... All right, Nico said. I'll try. Yershin scratched his beard. There's a whole dugout back for a septic tank. We could use that. Cyclops boy, fetch my ice chest from the kitchen. You have the dead like root beer. And that is the end of chapter nine. Let's hope that Percy and Nico hopefully get to reach Bianca and Bianca can actually convince Nico to stop listening to Minos because Minos, as we've seen before, he treated Daedalus really bad and his son. And I really hope that Minos doesn't influence Nico anymore to make sure that Nico doesn't do anything worse or anything life-changing that could possibly help the Titans over the the Olympians. But we will find out what if they reach Bianca or not after this break, and we will read Chapter 10, We Play the Game Show of Death. And we are back from the ads, and now we will read Chapter 10, We Play the Game Show of Death. We did our summons after dark, at a 20-foot-long pit in front of the septic tank. The tank was bright yellow, with a smiley face and red words painted on the side. Happy Flush Disposal Corporation. It didn't quite go with the mood of summoning the dead. The moon was full, silver, silver clouds drifted across the sky. Minos should be here by now, Nico said, frowning. It's full dark. Maybe he got lost, I said hopefully. Nico poured root beer and tossed barbecue into the pit, then began chanting in ancient Greek. Immediately, the bugs in the woods stopped chirping. In my pocket, the Stygian ice dog whistle started to grow colder, freezing against the side of my leg. Make him stop, Tyson whispered to me. Part of me agreed. This was unnatural. The night air felt cold and menacing. But before I could say anything, the first spirits appeared. Sulfurous, sulfurous mist seeped out of the ground. Shadows thickened into human forms. One blue shade drifted to the edge of the pit and knelt to drink. Stop him, Nico said, momentarily breaking his chant. Only Bianca may drink. I drew Riptide. The ghost retreated with a collective hiss at the sight of my celestial bronze blade. But it was too late to stop the first spirit. He had already solidified into the shape of a bearded man in white robes. A circlet of gold wreathed his head, and even in death, his eyes were alive with malice. Minos! Nico said. What are you doing? My apologies, master, the ghost said, though he didn't sound very sorry. The sacrifice smelled so good I couldn't resist. He examined his own hands and smiled. It is good to see myself again. Almost in solid form. You are disrupting the ritual, Nico protested. Get? 
The spirits of the dead began shimmering dangerously bright, and Nico had to take up the chant again to keep them at bay. Yes, quite right, master, Mina said with amusement. You keep chanting. I've only come to protect you from these liars who would deceive you. He turned to me as if I were some kind of cockroach. Percy Jackson, my, my. The sons of Poseidon haven't improved over the centuries, have they? I wanted to punch him, but I figured my fist would go right through his face. We're looking for Bianca D'Angelo, I said. Get lost. The ghost chuckled. I understand you once killed my minotaur with your bare hands, but worse things await you in the maze. Do you really believe Daedalus will help you? The other spirits stirred in agitation. Annabeth drew her knife and helped me keep them away from the pit. Grover got so nervous he clung to Tyson's shoulder. Daedalus cares nothing for you, half-bloods, Minos warned. You can't trust him. He is old beyond counting and crafty. He is bitter from the guilt of murder and is cursed from by the gods. The guilt of murder? I asked. Who did he kill? Do not change the subject, the ghost growled. You are hindering Nico. You tried to persuade him to give up his goal. I would make him a lord. Enough, Minos, Nico commanded. The ghost sneered. Master, these are your enemies. You must not listen to them. Let me protect you. I will turn their minds to madness as I did the others. The others? Annabeth gasped. You mean Chris Rodriguez? That was you? The maze is my property, the ghost said. Not Daedalus's. Those who intrude deserve madness. Be gone, Minos, Nico demanded. I want to see my sister. The ghost bit back his rage. As you wish, master. But I warn you, you cannot trust these heroes. With that, he faded into mist. Other spirits rushed forward, but Annabeth and I kept them back. Bianca, appear! Nico intoned. He started chanting faster, and the spirits shifted restlessly. Any time now, Grover muttered. Then a silvery light flickered in the trees. A spirit that seemed brighter and stronger than the others. It came closer, and something told me to let it pass. It knelt to drink at the pit. When it arose, it was the ghostly form of Bianca D'Angelo. Nico's chanting faltered. I lowered my sword. The other spirits started to crowd forward, but Bianca raised her arms and they retreated into the woods. Hello, Percy, she said. She looked the same as she had in life. A green cap set sideways on her thick black hair, dark eyes and olive skin like her brother. She wore jeans and a silvery jacket, the outfit of a hunter of Artemis. A bow was slung over her shoulder. She smiled faintly, and her whole form flickered. Bianca, I said. My voice was thick. I'd felt guilty about her death for a long time, but seeing her in front of me was five times as bad, like her death was fresh and new. I remembered searching through the wreckage of the giant bronze warrior she sacrificed her life to defeat, not finding any sign of her. I'm so sorry, I said. You have nothing to apologize for, Percy. I made my own choice. I don't regret it. Bianca! Nico stumbled forward like he was just coming out of a daze. She turned toward her brother. Her expression was sad, as if she'd been dreading this moment. Hello, Nico. You've gone so tall. Why didn't you answer me sooner? 
he cried. I've been trying for months. I was hoping you'd give up. Give up? He sounded how heartbroken. How can you say that? I'm trying to save you. You can't, Nico. Don't do this. Percy is right. No, he let you die. He's not your friend. Bianca stretched out a hand as if to touch her brother's face. But she was made of mist. Her hand evaporated as it got close to living skin. You must listen to me, she said. Holding grudges is dangerous for a child of Hades. It is our fatal flaw. You have to forgive. You have to promise me this. I can't. Never. Percy has been worried about you, Nico. He can help. I let him see what you were up to, hoping he would find you. So it was you, I said. You sent those Iris messages. Bianca nodded. Why are you helping him and not me? Nico screamed. It's not fair. You are close to the truth now, Bianca told him. It's not Percy you're mad at, Nico. It's me. No. You're mad because I left you to become a hunter of Artemis. You're mad because I died and left you alone. I'm sorry for that, Nico. I truly am. But you must overcome the anger and stop blaming Percy for my choices. It will be your doom. She's right, Amber broke in. Kronos is rising, Nico. He'll twist anyone he can to his cause. I don't care about Kronos. Nico said, I just want my sister back. You can't have that, Nico, Bianca told him gently. I'm the son of Hades. I can. Don't try, she said. If you love me, don't. Her voice trailed off. Spirits had started to gather around us again, and they seemed agitated. Their shadows shifted. Their voices whispered, danger. Tartar stirs, Bianca said. Your power draws the attention of Kronos. The dead must return to the underworld. It is not safe for us to remain. Wait, Nico said. Please. Goodbye, Nico, Bianca said. I love you. Remember what I said. Her form shivered and the ghost disappeared, leaving us alone with the pit, a happy flush septic tank, and a cold full moon. None of us were anxious to travel that night. So we decided to wait until morning. Grover and I crashed on the leather couches in Garion's living room, which was a lot more comfortable than a bedroll in the maze. But it didn't make my nightmares any better. I dreamed I was with Luke, walking through the dark palace on top of Mount Tam. It was a real building now, not some half-finished illusion like I'd seen last winter. Green fires burned in brazy airs along the walls. The floor was polished black marble. A cold wind blew down the hallway, and above us, through the open ceiling, the sky swirled with gray storm clouds. Luke was dressed for battle. He wore camouflage pants, a white t-shirt, and a bronze breastplate. But his sword, Backbiter, wasn't at his side, only an empty scabbard. We walked into a large courtyard where dozens of warriors and Draconae were preparing for war. When they saw him, the demigods rose to attention. They beat their swords against their shields. Is it time, my lord? A Draconae asked. Soon, Luke promised. Continue your work. My lord, a voice said behind him. Kelly, the Impusa, was smiling at him. She wore a blue dress tonight and looked wickedly beautiful. Her eyes flickered. 
sometimes dark brown, sometimes pure red. Her hair was braided down her back and seemed to catch the light of the torches, as if it were anxious to turn back into pure flame. My heart was pounding. I waited for Kelly to see me, to chase me out of the dream as she did before. But this time, she didn't seem to notice me. You have a visitor, she told Luke. She stepped aside and even Luke seemed stunned by what he saw. The monster Compe towered above him. Her snakes hissed around her legs. Animal heads growled at her waist. Her swords were drawn, shimmering with poison and with her bat wings extended, she took up the entire corridor. You, Luke's voice sounded a little shaky. I told you to stay on Alcatraz. Compe's eyelids blinked sideways like a reptile's. She spoke in that weird rumbling language, but this time I understood. Somewhere in the back of my mind, I come to serve. Give me revenge. You're a jailer, Luke said. Your job. I will have them dead. No one escapes me. Luke hesitated. A line of sweat trickled down the side of his face. Very well, he said. You will go with us. You may carry Ariadne's string. It is a position of great honor. Compe hissed at the stars. She sheathed her swords and turned, pounding the hallway on her enormous dragon legs. We should have left that one in Tartarus, Luke mumbled. She's too chaotic, too powerful. Kelly laughed softly. You should not fear power, Luke. Use it. The sooner we leave, the better. Luke said, I want this over with. Aww. Kelly sympathized, running a finger down his arm. You find it unpleasant to destroy your camp, old camp? I didn't say that. You're not having second thoughts about your own, ah, special part? Luke's face turned stony. I know my duty. That is good, the demon said. Is our strike force sufficient, do you think? Or will I need to call Mother Hecate for help? We have more than enough, Luke said grimly. The deal is almost complete. All I need now is to negotiate safe passage through the arena. Mmm, Kelly said. That should be interesting. I would hate to see your handsome head on a spike if you fail. I will not fail. And you, demon, don't you have other matters to attend to? Oh, yes, Kelly smiled. I am bringing despair to our eavesdropping enemies. I'm doing that right now. She turned her eyes directly on me, exposed her talons, and ripped through my dream. Suddenly, I was in a different place. I stood at the top of a stone tower, overlooking rocky cliffs in the ocean below. The old man Daedalus was hunched over a work table, wrestling with some kind of navigational instrument. Like a huge compass, he looked years older than when I'd last seen him. He was stooped and his hands were gnarled. He cursed in ancient Greek and squinted as if he couldn't see his work, even though it was a sunny day. Uncle, a voice called. A smiling boy about Nico's age came bounding up the steps, carrying a wooden box. Hello, Perdix, the old man said, though his tone sounded cold. Done with their projects already? Yes, Uncle, they were easy. Daedalus scowled. Easy? The problem of moving a water uphill without a pump was easy? Oh yes, look! The boy dumped his box and rummaged through the junk. He came up with a strip of papyrus and showed the old inventor some diagrams and notes. 
They didn't make any sense to me, but Daedalus nodded grudgingly. I see. Not bad. The king loved it, Perdix said. He said I might even be smarter than you. Did he now? But I don't believe that. I'm so glad Mother sent me to study with you. I want to know everything you do. Yes, Daedalus muttered. So when I die, you can take my place, eh? The boy's eyes widened. Oh, no, Uncle. But I've been thinking... Why does a man have to die anyway? The inventor scowled. It is the way of the things, lad. Everything dies but the gods. But why? The boy insisted. If you could capture the animus, the soul in another form. Well, you've told me about your automatons, uncle. Bulls, eagles, dragons, horses of bronze. Why not a bronze form of man? No, my boy, Daedalus said sharply. You are naive. Such a thing is impossible. I don't think so, Perdix insisted, with the use of a little magic. Magic! Bah! Yes, uncle, magic and mechanics together. With a little work, one could make a body that would look exactly human, only better. I made some notes. He handed the old man a thick scroll. Daedalus unfurled it. He read for a long time. His eyes narrowed. He glanced at the boy, then closed at the scroll and cleared his throat. It would never work, my boy. When you're older, you'll see. Can I fix that astrolabe then, uncle? Are your joints swelling up again? The old man's jaw clenched. No, thank you. Now why don't you run along? Perdix didn't seem to notice the old man's anger. He snatched a bronze beetle from his mound of stuff and ran to the edge of the tower. A low sill ringed the room, coming just to up to the boy's knees. The wind was strong. Move back, I wanted to tell him, but my voice didn't work. Perdix wound up the beetle and tossed it into the sky. It spread its wings and hummed away. Perdix laughed with delight. Smarter than me, Daedalus mumbled, too soft for the boy to hear. Is it true your son died flying, uncle? I heard you made him enormous wings, but they failed. Daedalus' hands, hands clenched. Take my place, he muttered. The wind whipped around the boy, tugging at his clothes, making his hair ripple. I would like to fly, Perdix said. I'd make my own wings that wouldn't fail. Do you think I could? Maybe it was a dream within my dream. But suddenly I imagined the two-headed god Janus shimmering in the air next to Daedalus, smiling as he tossed the silver key from hand to hand. Choose, he whispered to the old inventor. Choose. Daedalus picked up another one of the boy's metal bugs. The inventor's old eyes were redded with anger. Perdix, he called. Catch! He tossed the bronze beetle toward the boy. Delighted, Perdix tried to catch it, but the throw was too long. The beetle sailed into open sky and Perdix reached a little too far. The wind caught him. Somehow, he managed to grab the rim of the tower with his fingers as, as he fell. Uncle, he screamed. Help me! The old man's face was a mask. He did not move from his spot. Go on, Perdix, Daedalus said softly. Make your own wings. Be quick about it. Uncle, the boy cried as he lost his grip. He tumbled toward the sea. There was a moment of deadly silence. The god Janus flickered and disappeared. Then thunder shook the sky. A woman's stern voice spoke from above. You will pay the price for that, Daedalus. I heard that voice before. It was Annabeth, Annabeth's mother, Athena. 
Daedalus scowled up at the heavens. I've always honored you, mother. I've sacrificed everything to follow your way. Yet the boy had my blessing as well, and you have killed him. For that, you must pay. I've paid and paid, Daedalus growled. I've lost everything. I'll suffer in the underworld, no doubt. But in the meantime, he picked up the boy's scroll, studied it for a moment, and slipped into his sleeve. You do not understand, Athena said coldly. You will pay now and forever. Suddenly, Daedalus collapsed in agony. I felt what he felt. A searing pain closed around my neck like a molten hot collar, cutting off my breath, making everything go black. I woke in the dark, my hands clutching at my throat. Percy, Grover called from the other sofa. Are you okay? I steadied my breathing. I wasn't sure how to answer. I just watched the guy we were looking for, Daedalus, murder his own nephew. How could I be okay? The television was going. Blue light flickered through the room. What? What time is it? I croaked. Two in the morning, Grover said. I couldn't sleep. I was watching the Nature Channel, he sniffled. I miss Juniper. I rubbed the sleep out of my eyes. Yeah, well, you'll see her again soon. Grover shook his head sadly. Do you know what day it is, Percy? I just saw it on TV. It's June 13th, seven days since we left camp. What? I said. That can't be right. Time is faster in the labyrinth, Grover reminded me. The first time you and Ambit went down there, you thought you were only gone a few minutes, right? But it was an hour. Oh, I said. Right. Then it dawned on me what he was saying, and my throat felt searing hot again. Your deadline with the Council of Cloven Elders. Grover put the TV remote in his mouth and crunched off the end of it. I'm out of time, he said with a mouthful of plastic. As soon as I go back, they'll take away my searcher's license. I'll never be allowed to go out again. We'll talk to them, I promised. Make them give you more time. Grover swallowed. They'll never go for it. The world is dying, Percy. Every day gets worse. The wild. I can just feel it fading. I have to find Pan. You will, man, no doubt. Grover looked at me with sad goat eyes. You've always been a good friend, Percy. What you did today, saving the ranch animals from Garion, th th that was amazing. I, I wish I could be more like you. Hey, I said, don't say that. You're just as much as a hero. No, I'm not. I keep trying, but... He sighed. Percy, I can't go back to camp without fighting Pan. I just can't. You understand that, don't you? I can't face Juniper if I fail. I can't even face myself. His voice was so unhappy it hurt to hear. We'd been through a lot together, but I'd never heard him sound as down. We'll figure something out, I said. You haven't failed. You're the champion goat boy, all right? Juniper knows that. So do I. Grover closed his eyes. Champion goat boy, he muttered dejectedly. A long time after he dozed off, I was still awake, watching the blue light of the Nature Channel wash over the stuffed trophy heads of, on Garion's walls. The next morning, we walked down to the cattle guard and said our goodbyes. Nico, you could come with us, I blurted out. I guess I was thinking about my dream, and about the young boy Perdix reminded me of Nico. He shook my head. I don't think any of us slept well in the Demon Ranch house, but Nico looked worse than anybody else. His eyes were red and his face chalky. 
He was wrapped in a black robe that must have belonged to Garion because it was three sizes too big even for a grown man. I need time to think. His eyes wouldn't meet mine, but I could tell from his tone he was still angry. The fact that his sister had come out of the underworld for me and not for him didn't seem to sit well with him. Nico, Ambit said, Bianca just wants you to put be okay. She put her hand on his shoulder, but he pulled away and trudged up the road toward the ranch house. Maybe it was my imagination, but the morning mist seemed to cling to him as he walked. I'm worried about him, Ambit told me. If he starts talking to Minos' ghost again, he'll be all right, Eurishan promised. The cowherd had cleaned up nicely. He was wearing new jeans and a clean western shirt, and he even trimmed his beard. He put on Garion's boots. The boy can stay here and gather his thoughts as long as he wants. You'll be safe, I promised. What about you? I asked. Eurishan scratched Orthus behind one shin and then the other. Things are going to run a little different on this ranch from now on. No more sacred cattle meat. I'm thinking about soybean patties. And I'm thinking I'm going to be, be befriend those flesh-eating horses. Might just sign up for the next rodeo. The idea made me shudder. Well, good luck. Yep. Yurishin spit into the grass. I reckon you'll be looking for Daedalus' workshop now. Ambit's eyes lit up. Can you help us? Yurishin studied the cattle guard. And I got the feeling the subject of Daedalus' workshop made him uncomfortable. Don't know where it is, but Hephaestus probably would. That's what Hera said, Ambit agreed. But how do we find Hephaestus? Yurishin pulled something from under the collar of his shirt. It was a necklace, a smooth silver disc on a silver chain. The disc had a depression on the middle, like a thumbprint. He handed it to Annabeth. Hephaestus comes here from time to time. Yurshin said, studies the animals and such so he can make bronze automaton copies. Last time, I uh, did him a favor. A little trick he wanted to play on my dad, Ares, and Aphrodite. He gave me that chain and gratitude. Said if I ever needed to find him, the disc would lead me to his forges, but only once. And you're giving it to me? Ambit asked. Yurshin blushed. I don't need to see the forges, miss. Got enough to do here. Just press the button and you'll be on your way. Ambit pressed the button and the disc sprang to life. It grew eight metal li- me- metallic legs. Ambit shrieked and dropped it, much to Yurishin's confusion. Spider! She screamed. She's um, a little scared of spiders, Grover explained. That old grudge between Athena and Arachne. Oh, Yurishin looked embarrassed. Sorry, miss. The spider scrambled to the cattle guard and disappeared between the bars. Hurry, I said. That thing's not going to wait for us. Ambit wasn't anxious to follow, but we didn't have much choice. We said our goodbyes to Yershin. Tyson pulled the cattle guard off the hole, and we dropped back into the maze. I wish I could have put the mechanical spider on a leash. It scuttled along the tunnel so fast, most of the time, I couldn't even see it. If it hadn't been for Tyson's and Grover's excellent hearing, we never would have known which way it was going. We ran down a marble tunnel, then dashed to the left and almost fell into an abyss. Tyson grabbed me and hauled me back before I could fall. The tunnel continued in front of us, but there was no floor for about a hundred feet, just gaping darkness and a series of iron rungs in the ceiling. The mechanical spider was about halfway across, swinging from bar to bar by shooting out metal web fiber. Monkey bars, Ambit said. I'm great at these. 
She leaped onto the first rung and started swinging her way across. She was scared of tiny spiders, Minata plummeting to her death from a set of monkey bars. Go figure. Amba got to the opposite side and ran after the spider. I followed. When I got across, I looked back and saw Tyson giving Grover a piggyback ride. Or was it a goatee back ride? The big guy made it across in three swings, which was a good thing since just as he landed, the last iron bar ripped free under his weight. We kept moving and passed a skeleton crumpled in the tunnel. He wore the remains of a dress shirt, slacks, and a tie. The spider didn't slow down. I slipped on a pile of wood scraps, but when I shined a light on them, I realized they were pencils. Hundreds of them, all broken in half. The tunnel opened onto a large room. A blazing light hit us. Once my eyes adjusted, the first thing I noticed were the skeletons. Dozens littered the floor around us. Some were old and bleached white. Others were more recent and a lot grosser. They didn't smell quite as bad as Garion's stables, but almost. Then I saw the monster. She stood on a glittery dais on the opposite side of the room. She had the body of a huge lion and the head of a woman. She would have been pretty, but her hair was tied back in a tight bun. She wore too much makeup, so she kind of reminded me of my third grade choir teacher. She had a blue ribbon badge pinned to her chest that took me a moment to read. This monster has been rated exemplary. Tyson whimpered. Sphinx. I knew exactly why he was scared. When he was small, Tyson had been attacked by a sphinx in New York. He still had the scars on his back to prove it. Spotlights blazed on either side of the creature. The only exit was a tunnel right behind the dais. The mechanical spider scuttled between the sphinx's paws and disappeared. Abbott's stare started forward, but the sphinx roared, showing fangs in her otherwise human face. Bars came down on both tunnel exits, behind us and in front. Immediately, the monster's snarl turned into a brilliant smile. Welcome, lucky contestants, she announced. Get ready to play. Answer that riddle. Canned applause blasted from the ceiling, as if they're invisible loudspeakers. Spotlights swept across the room and reflected off the dais, throwing disco glitter over the skeletons on the floor. Fabulous prizes, the Sphinx said. Pass the test and you get to advance. Fail and I get to eat you. Who will be our contestant? Amber grabbed my arm. I've got this, she whispered. I know what she's going to ask. I didn't argue too hard. I didn't want Ambit getting devoured by a monster, but I figured if the Sphinx was going to ask riddles, Ambit was the best one out of uh, Ambit was the best one of us to try. She stepped forward to the contestant podium, which had a skeleton in a school uniform hunched over it. She pushed the skeleton out of the way and clattered to the floor. Sorry, Ambit told it. Welcome, Ambit Chase, the monster cried, though Ambit hadn't said her name. Are you ready for your test? Yes, she said. Ask your riddle. Twenty riddles, actually, the Sphinx said gleefully. What? But back in the old days, oh, but we raised our standards. To pass, you must show proficiency in all twenty. Isn't that great? Applause switched on and off like somebody turning on a faucet. Emma glanced at me nervously. I gave her an encouraging nod. Okay, she told the Sphinx. I'm ready. 
A drum drum roll sounded from above. The Sphinx's eyes glittered with excitement. What is the capital of Bulgaria? Ambeth frowned. For a terrible moment, I thought she was stumped. Sophia, but she said, but correct. More canned applause. The Sphinx smiled so wide her fangs showed. Please be sure to mark your answer clearly on your test sheet with the number two pencil. What? Abbott looked mystified. Then a test booklet appeared on the podium in front of her, along with a sharpened pencil. Make sure you bubble each answer clearly and stay inside the circle. The Sphinx said, if you have to erase, erase completely, or the machine will not be able to read your answers. What machine? Annabeth asked. The Sphinx pointed with her paw. Over by the spotlight was a bronze box with a bunch of gears and levers, and a big Greek letter, Eda, on the side. The mark of Hephaestus. Now, she said the Sphinx, next question. Wait a second, Amber protested. What about what walks on four legs in the morning? I beg your pardon? The Sphinx said, clearly annoyed now. The riddle about man, he walks on four legs in the morning like a baby, two legs in the afternoon like an adult, and three legs in the evening as an old man with a cane. That's the riddle you used to ask. Exactly why we changed the test, the Sphinx exclaimed. You already knew the answer. Now, second question. What is the square root of 16? Four, Ambit said, but correct. Which U.S. president signed the Emancipation Proclamation? Abraham Lincoln, but correct. Rule number four, how much? Hold up, Ambit shouted. I wanted to tell her to stop complaining. She was doing great. She should just answer the questions so we could leave. These aren't riddles, Ambit said. What do you mean? The Sphinx snapped. Of course they are. This test material is specifically designed. It's just a bunch of dumb random facts, Ambit insisted. Riddles are supposed to make you think. Think? The Sphinx frowned. How am I supposed to test whether you can think? That's ridiculous. Now, how much force is required? Stop! Ambit insisted. This is a stupid test. Um, Annabeth? Grover cut in nervously. Maybe you should just, you know, finish first and complain later? I'm a child of Athena, she insisted, and this is an insult to my intelligence. I won't answer these questions. Part of me was impressed with her for standing up like that, but part of me thought her pride was going to get us all killed. The spotlights glared. The Sphinx's eyes glittered pure black. Why then, my dear? The monster said calmly. If you won't pass, you fail. And since we can't allow any children to be held back, you'll be eaten. The Sphinx bared her claws, which gleamed like stainless steel. She pounced at the podium. No! Tyson charged. He hates it when people threaten Annabeth, but I couldn't believe he was being so brave, especially since he'd had such a bad experience with the Sphinx before. He tackled the Sphinx midair, and they crashed sideways into a pile of bones. This gave Annabeth just enough time to gather her wits and draw her knife. Tyson got up, his shirts clawed to shreds, the Sphinx growled looking for an opening. I drew Riptide and stepped in front of Annabeth. Turn invisible, I told her. I can fight! No, I yelled. The Sphinx is after you. Let us get it. As if to prove my point, the Sphinx knocked Tyson aside and tried to charge past me. Grover poked her in the eye with somebody's leg bone. She screeched in pain. Ambit put on her cap and vanished. 
The Sphinx pounced right where she'd been standing, but came up with empty paws. No fair! The Sphinx wailed. Cheater! With Annabeth no longer in sight, the Sphinx turned on me. I raised my sword before, but before I could strike, Tyson ripped the monster's grating machine out of the floor and threw it out, of this, out at the Sphinx's heads, ruining her hair bun. It landed in pieces all around her. My grating machine, she cried. I can't be exemplary without my, my test scores. The bars lifted from the exits. We all dashed for this far tunnel. I could only hope Annabeth was doing the same. The Sphinx started to follow, but Grover erased his reed pipes and began to play. Suddenly, the pencils remembered they used to be part of trees. They collected around the Sphinx's paws, roots and branches, and began wrapping around the monster's legs. The Sphinx ripped through them, but it bought us just enough time. Tyson pulled Grover into the tunnel, and the bar slammed shut behind us. Annabeth! I yelled. Here! She said, right next to me. Keep moving! We ran through the dark tunnels, listening to the roar of the Sphinx behind us. She complained about all the tests she would have to grade by hand. And that is the end of chapter 10. It was kind of surprising how the Sphinx actually didn't ask a riddle as it's famous for. And it started asking Annabeth for just random facts. But I was, I'm glad they were able to escape the Sphinx and they weren't able, she wasn't able to eat them alive. And we will see where now, where Percy and the group will now go to next week when we read chapters 11 through 12. So until then, stay safe and stay out of boredom.